Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Kyle Coster Show presented by The Big Lead. What is going on today? Stephen A. Smith just said that he can't say he would rather have Giannis over Ja in a playoff series. Jay Williams, I'm looking at the TV right here. Jay Williams cannot believe it. He's being ushered off the stage awkwardly, kind of weird. Yeah, I don't I don't know what that's about. That is quite a take. If, if, if I'm not mistaken, we just saw one of the guys win an NBA championship a few months ago. The other one has been maybe the most joyous player to watch this year, but maybe we should reserve judgment. Uh, I don't remember anything remarkable about last year in the playoffs with John Morant. But that's what you're going to get. You are going to get stuff like that, especially from the most gifted performance artist in the sports media space in Stephen A. Smith. This 24-7, 365 content churn that we have really, really has pushed people to be creative, to find their own voice, to find their own art, and just created some magical things because I fully look forward to a contrasting opinion, possibly coming from Smith himself, shortly to negate what he has just done. Uh, he's, man, he's one of a kind. Read in the New York Post yesterday, our old friend Ryan Glassbeagle aggregated some comments that Smith made in his return to first take, which happened to come right after the Cowboys lost. Timing could not have been better. He was hospitalized with COVID. It was serious. He said the doctors uh, were telling him, had he not been vaccinated, maybe things would not have worked out this well. Uh, it was pretty striking to read, and it was certainly puts this into context where someone that full of energy, that enthusiastic, seems to be in pretty good shape, got a great motor. If he gets laid up like that because of COVID, it's uh, just a reminder that it's still around and it's still super serious. And that was basically Smith's point. He was advocating for wearing masks, getting vaccinated. But really, it's great to see him back because nobody can do what he does. He is one of a kind uh, in terms of whatever this playpen that they all operate in is. Uh, part of it is theater. Part of it is professional wrestling. Part of it is journalism. Smith combines them all to create something magical. And in any given day, he's going to give you one of those. And, and, and his work shift is notoriously long. He's not over today. So that was interesting. 
that we'll keep that in as kind of like an organic opening to this podcast, which will feature my interview with John Gonzalez. He's the host of the new Sports Illustrated Weekly podcast. The debut is out today. He's going to be joining any one of these moments. You're getting a linear cut podcast today. A lot, mixing it up, trying some new things out of necessity, the mother of invention. That's, like I said, like my hero, Stephen A. Smith. We'll improvise. We'll get you a finished product. Mine is not going to be nearly as impressive, but if you're listening to it already, please don't turn it off. But I would actually like you to listen to what John and I talk about today, kind of his path to this point, how he sees himself operating in an increasingly dynamic media world where you have to be a dynamic personality. Uh, I'm going to hit him up on one or two Philadelphia centric topics. We got some big things in the news and we're going to nerd out a little bit about a journalism technique that's sort of fallen out of favor uh, in recent years, but maybe it should come back. So uh, stick around after this brief pause. It'll be me and it'll be John. John, I think I first came to know your writing when you were a columnist at Philadelphia Inquirer. Getting to be that position at your hometown paper, was that something that you wanted to do when you were a little kid? And if it was, was it kind of like the ultimate goal? Because I think the way that I grew up, that was sort of like my first dream when I thought about, hey, I want people to read my writing and know what's going on inside my head. Yeah, no, Kyle, you nailed it. I mean, when I was a kid, Bill Lyon was the the big columnist to Philadelphia Inquirer. And I thought like, I, I grew up reading that paper and the daily news religiously every single day. And I thought, man, like they're so good. And that's what I want to do. And if I could get that job, I'll have that job for the rest of my life. And I got that job and I was so excited. And I was there for like three and a half years because like, that's the media landscape now, right? Like you get these jobs that you, I, that you sort of um, dream about your, your whole career coming up. And then you realize that's not the industry anymore. Like that's not the business. So I was there and then I hopped to NBC sports Philly. And from there I went to the ringer and now I'm at sports illustrated. And it's like, it was an awesome, awesome stop. And it was a dream come true, but it just, you know, it didn't last nearly as long as I had hoped. Yeah. I kind of have something like that in my past too. I felt I was like 25 years old and I got a job really early at the Chicago sun times and things progressed there pretty quickly. And I was kind of like, one day I was like, this is lining up where I think I could, you know, be a columnist in three years uh, before I turned 30 uh, yeah. in that market, the third biggest market and with all those exciting teams and that passionate fan base and really subscriber base too. And, you know, once you know it, it's about the same thing. Like after about three or four years, circumstances came to be that it's like, oh, that's not going to be happening. Uh, and then since then, it's kind of been like, you know, I'm going to change what I do uh, every three or four years, like every presidential election, <laughs> yeah. I move on to something else. Yeah. I mean, it's... I, I've always described it as if you're in sports media because of everything that ha that's happened in the newspaper industry and um, even like the dot-com bubble sort of popping for us as well, the sort of like hopping from lily pad to lily pad and trying not to get your feet wet, right? Too many, too many people end up in the water, like people who are way more talented than me that should have jobs uh, or ended up changing jobs just because you know, all of a sudden the rug gets pulled out from under you and, and there's downsizing and, or, you know, a company gets sold and they, they decided to decide to, to reduce their workforce. And it's like, that's a bummer. So that, that's a, a reason why I was so excited to see the athletic get 
uh, bought by the New York Times, I feel like that's a really good landing spot for a lot of people that I'm friends with, that I respect, that I like, who do just quality work. I hope that they can continue to do that. Yeah, I know that that really is the hope. And really, I think that when you get into this, you don't just root for yourself to succeed. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would consider you among this group, like people that I enjoy their work, I enjoy consuming their content, like, I hope it works out for them. So I was thrilled to see you land oh, at Sports Illustrated. I mean, just the fantastic name alone. Again, that's one of those things that conjures up really early memories. I guess, how long has it been since you joined? Uh, I joined at the very end of November, beginning of December. So it's been a little over a month. So a little over a month in, do you still think, hey, I work for Sports Illustrated? And like, is, is that real? Like what path led me here? Yeah, it's kind of trippy, right? Because in the same way that I like always wanted to work at the Philadelphia Inquirer and have a column uh, in my hometown, like the bigger jump, right, would be, oh man, if I could work at ESPN or Sports Illustrated, like I don't want to get too saccharine about this, but I read it religiously. I had, and I, and I talked about this on the podcast, I had stacks and stacks and stacks of Sports Illustrateds that I saved as a kid. Like I knew from a very early age that I wanted to do this. And I thought like Sports Illustrated was the epitome. I mean, like if, if um, writing a column in a daily newspaper is flying a plane, writing something for Sports Illustrated was going to the moon. I, they were astronauts to me. I had no idea how they did it. So um, to be here now and to be working on all this stuff is kind of mind blowing. And, and it's really cool. And I'm super fortunate. Like I said, I want all of us to have jobs. Uh, so I'm happy to have a job full stop, but to have one at Sports Illustrated is just, is really, it's, it's a really great thing. And they've put you on a new project called Sports Illustrated Weekly. It's, the name gives it away, a weekly podcast. Um, <laughs> kind of a news magazine is how I would describe it. Um, but that's how I would describe it. How would yeah. you describe it and what is it? Yeah, no, it's a magazine style podcast. So uh, we have a lot of narrative storytelling in it. For our premiere episode, Howard Beck, who I've been fortunate enough to like be on the road with back when I was at the ringer and I was only covering the NBA spent a lot of time on the road with Howard. So he had written this piece uh, for the magazine about the golden state warriors sort of rebooting their uh, franchise on the fly after all these injuries. And now like all of a sudden they're good again, which is wild how, how fast they did that. So Howard came on and we talked about that and we use a lot of the audio that he gathered. So you, you're going to hear Steph Curry and Steve Kerr and Clay Thompson and Bob Myers, the general manager, to sort of uh, tell that piece. Similarly, John Wertheim, who you can now see, he just did this incredible piece on 60 Minutes. He's everywhere uh, about Anne Frank. Uh, he came on to talk about Tom Brady uh, being the sports person of the year for us. And so you hear Tom Brady talking about like getting older and like what he's learned. And he's, he's, he opens up a lot more than I think we're used to hearing Tom Brady. And then finally, we have um, Joe Thomas, legendary Browns offensive lineman, future hall of famer works with my wife. Uh, and he's just like a really good dude. So he comes on, we were like having dinner one night and we started talking about sports illustrated and he used to love reading it too. And we, and I was like, Oh, what was the, when was the first time you were in sports illustrated, which led to this really interesting conversation. So we did that on the pod as well. So, yeah, I listened. And I think what's cool is it's um, you know, it's, it's sort of in the vein of, I think the same editorial idea of ESPN Daily, where they created the property to highlight stuff that's going on that 
journalism that's going on at the company, right? So yes, yeah. you're covering the external st stories and you're talking about you know, what Clay Thompson's return means, but it's also showcasing the incredible writers uh, and, and decision makers that you have around yourself. And, and through that lens, I was kind of thinking it's, it's sort of, um, you know, it's kind of analogous to what the big lead does in terms of like trying to just understand, um, you know, the story idea of all yeah. of this and to highlight the in-house in addition to what's going on externally. And I think that that's so smart because it's something that a lot of people feel uncomfortable doing. Social media forces us to kind of like blast out, here's what's going on. Yeah. It's a lot better to have someone else tell you, you know, like what, what they thought about it and, and any story that they report out to hear the reporting process just adds that depth and layer to it that you're maybe not getting if you're just reading it online. Yeah, we want to deliver sort of the experience that we were talking about with the magazine and in podcast form every week. I'm a huge fan of ESPN Daily. You mentioned that, um, you know, the lead has one for the athletic. That's a really good one. The, the Daily, if you're, if you're a fan of the New York Times, um, those tend to be single topic episodes with ours because it's a weekly podcast. We want people to spend a little bit more time with it. So we're going to give you, you know, probably three stories every week, uh, an A, B, and C segment, some of which will be light and fun and funny, like the Joe Thomas segment. And in future episodes, we've got Michael Vick coming up and Steve Smith Sr. and a whole bunch of other people. And then there'll be um, weightier topics for next week's episode. Uh, there was a really fantastic piece by Brian Burnshead in SI about Sean Bradley being paralyzed in a bicycle crash. He was hit by a car. So we'll get into that next week. So some things are a little bit heavier and, and uh, more in depth in terms of the investigative pieces. Which, in, which allows you to tell every kind of story, which is nice. Uh, you don't get pigeonholed into being like, this is, this is what we are uh, and this is what we aren't. It kind of gives each week, maybe if like, you know, it's like when you watch uh, CBS Sunday morning, you're like, that didn't really resonate with me. But then the next week, like, do you see that like singular piece? It's almost kind of like taking it a la carte is three different chances at, at kind of capturing uh, listeners' attention. Yeah, hopefully a little something for everybody. You admitted that uh, something that I will also admit, so you don't feel so alone on this first episode, <laughs> that the longer Tom Brady goes along, the more I find myself liking him and maybe not rooting for him, but respecting the hell out of what he's doing on the field. And I just can't conjure up that thing that makes me want to root against him. Uh, and I think that there's probably a lot of people who share that same feeling as you expressed and then now I'm expressing. So maybe we could start a support group where like I've come to kind of like Tom Brady a little bit later yeah. in my life. What the hell's happening? Yeah, the support group. We'll meet on alternate Tuesdays. There'll be donuts and coffee. Uh, I, I want to be clear. I rooted like hell against him on Sunday when he played the Eagles and just throttled them from start to finish. Uh, but from a pullback perspective, I mean, and I really loved when the Eagles beat him in the Super Bowl. That was, I was there and that was, you know, a top moment. But to see what he's doing now, I mean, we're, we're the same age. We're both 44, Tom Brady and I. And like, I don't know, I go for a run and I'm in traction afterwards, right? Like I need a nap. And this guy's like getting hit by NFL offensive linemen. And not only that, or a defensive lineman, but and not only that, like playing at a really, really high level still. So it's just incredible to watch what he's done. And despite the fact that I like to root against him, the idea of him playing till 50, I kind of want to see it. And it sounds like from the reporting out of this piece is that Tom wants to see it too, because you can only climb so many mountains, right? Like yeah. he's got all the Super Bowls. And so what's another one? It's almost like a diminishing returns thing. But if you say I played, 
competitive football and I was the top 10 NFL quarterback until I was 50 years old. You put that on the pantheon of all time accomplishments against any sport. And you start to understand why someone like that, who's like singularly focused at being the best at everything in his life would, would find that an appealing goal. Yeah. And Wertheim was so good at getting all of that out of him, right. About like, how much longer do you want to play? And, and he doesn't so much answer the question and single out 50 as he says, I can imagine myself not playing and I'm sitting on the couch and I'm watching these other guys play going, they suck. Right. And that's like the kind of like really candid quote from Tom Brady that we haven't gotten really in the past We're now, and he even talks about that where like the older he gets, the less careful he's, he's becoming where he's just like kind of letting it rip a little bit. And I think after a while, when you get to a certain age, certainly when you're 44 and as John mentions, like everybody else on the the majority of people on the planet are younger than you. And certainly in, in the NFL, they're younger than you. If you're Tom Brady, it's just like, I'm going to let it rip now. What did you find most interesting about the, the first story with the Warriors? Because of the success, there's going to be a lot of people from the organization who are going to have you believe that they were always believers, that they were going to be in this spot in 2022. I'm a little skeptical of that. I think that this has probably been a bit of a shock for everybody. You have your high hopes and your best aspirations, but I would say that in that building, they probably are just as surprised as everybody that things kind of fell this specific way because it wasn't the way that they were maybe intending to get back there. Yeah, no, I, I think that's probably the most surprising part because I'm with you. I would have expected them to go, no, 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 we had a roadmap. We had this whole thing ready to go. We knew we were going to be good again. And I, and I think to a certain extent when you have Steph Curry and you're hoping to get Clay Thompson back and you still have Draymond Green, like that, that core trio is going to produce like a certain amount of wins and make you relevant. But Bob Myers in the piece flat out says like, of course we didn't have a plan for this. Like we didn't expect this because Clay Thompson gets hurt and Steph Curry gets hurt and we're sort of casting about in the dark. And then we decide, okay, well, we're going to spend some time with Jordan Poole and Jonathan Kaminga and James Weissman and see how they develop. And then in the process of that, Steph gets healthy. Andrew Wiggins, all of a sudden, who was much maligned, starts playing better and you get Clay Thompson back. And now all of a sudden they're good again quickly and I certainly didn't expect them to look this good this season. I want to talk about something very Philly centric. Uh, okay, great. I'm always on board. right here. Okay. So one of the things that I'm not seeing discussed often with the Ben Simmons thing mm-hmm. is I'm not seeing every, a lot of open speculation of what I think is going to happen is that the NBA is just going to pass him by. Like we already saw the obvious flaws in his skill set with all the ugliness going on. So I'm curious why everybody else kind of thinks or is assuming that he's going to come back and be any different of a player when the odds are he's going to be much worse and the game is going to move further on from him. I think there's a chance he comes back and he's just not really a relevant player outside of on the defensive end. Yeah, I mean, he's a tricky player, right? Because on the one hand, he influences the game so many ways positively where he's awesome on the break. He's a really exceptional passer. He's, you know, an otherworldly defender, but as we've seen, he also influences the game in negative ways in that he can't shoot, doesn't want to shoot, doesn't want to go to the line, uh, has no three point shot, which obviously the game uh, relies upon heavily now. So I think he will still be an impactful player, but the caveat is during the regular season, right? Because 
the way playoff basketball is, it's it's completely different. We saw him vanish last season, and and the flashpoint that led to all of this was him passing up that open dunk in uh, Game Seven against the Hawks, and the Hawks go on to win, and now all this snowball becomes an avalanche, and he gets buried under it, uh, and everybody's crushing him for it, and rightly so. Uh, but I don't think he'll be any different when he comes back. I do think he can still be a useful regular season player. I just have seen enough from him in the playoffs to go. That's that's good. We're good here. Take me on the mental timeline of first, I'm assuming being a Ben Ben Simmons fan to uh, being whatever you are now. And how do you think ultimately this resolves in a way, hopefully that brings you some sort of uh, peace and calm. Where do you think we're going from here? Yeah, I mean, this is probably a more nuanced answer than than would uh, play well on like Philly sports talk radio. I, when they drafted him, everybody was excited that they got Ben Simmons first pick in the draft, the obvious first pick in the draft. Uh, I know some people thought, oh, maybe it should be Brandon Ingram. It was never going to be Ingram. It was always going to be Ben Simmons. People were excited. But you look at his career trajectory, that first season, like he wasn't always reluctant to shoot, right? Those numbers have steadily declined. His his willingness to shoot outside of the paint has decreased. Uh, his free throw percentages have decreased. Uh, his fear of getting to the line has increased, and he's never developed a three-point shot. So I think that was the frustrating thing for Sixers fans to see like just a lack of development of your game, because there are plenty of people who have come into the league and haven't had a three point shot and they add it. I mean, at least Giannis is willing to take the shot. So that's the biggest frustration I think for Philadelphians. And then beyond that, for him to say he wants out uh, and that he was somehow treated poorly when the fans, I thought treated him with kid gloves most of the time. I mean, so it's probably best for everybody to go in their, in their separate directions. Yeah, I yeah, it's such an interesting thing too because to the extent anybody can be a Pistons fan uh, during this level of relevance, <laughs> I guess I would categorize myself that way. And you know, the rumor mill starts going, and it's just like, yeah, maybe God bless. Maybe, maybe Detroit starts looking at Simmons, and I'm like, okay, I don't know if I want to do that 82 times a year uh, with the thought of getting the playoffs and knowing that there's not going to be like some sort of unlocked mode. Uh, It's going to feel like kind of like purgatory if you get them, but it's really must've felt like extreme purgatory for Philly fans with what's been going on the last uh, year. Yeah. I mean, you, I think we've all seen what happens when you put some shooters around Joel Embiid. I mean, he's just been a killer this season and that's without Ben Simmons and Ben Simmons is a really good player, but purgatory, I think is the right thing because you hear like Daryl Morey say, Hey, this could go on for a while. It seems like Daryl Morey is more than happy to, to let the trade deadline expire. And it seems like Ben Simmons, according to ESPN, I think it was Ramona Shelburne who reported it, that Ben Simmons is willing to sit out the entire season. So they're playing this game of chicken and neither one of them is dodging the other. So we could be in this for a while. I mean, Daryl Morey said, Hey, you know, it could go on for years, which I really hope that's not the case for everybody's sake, but they look like they're all dug in. You did an interview with Ben Schwartz, just the old school Q&A, uh, yeah. where you get someone on the phone, you kind of bullshit with them, you connect with them in a level that really, uh, podcasts are great, but they can sound like people are, know that they're performing. And I thought that you had such a good vibe with him and you kind of took stuff that was happening on the periphery um, in the background between you two joking about stuff that you know, it's just for you two, essentially, but it really established what the vibe was when you spoke to this person. I think 
that that really can highlight what a person's true personality is. And it's one of my favorite things to do in journalism. I thought that you did it really well. Is it something that you enjoy? Oh, thanks, man. That's really nice of you. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the cool things about working at The Ringer was, you know, I, after I transitioned out of just covering the NBA into writing features, um, I had some time to do these other things, right, that didn't have anything to do with sports. And I do like having conversations with people and I'm fairly good at getting people on the phone. And so when the pandemic started, they were like, hey, do you have any ideas? And I was like, I don't know, let's, you know, ring up various people. And the very first person I did a Q&A with was Nick Offerman, who I love Parks and Rec. Like, it's one of my favorite all-time comedies. I've seen every episode multiple times. And I expected it to be like a difficult ask. And not only was it not a difficult ask, but Nick Offerman was like, yeah, he called me back immediately. I asked him for 15 minutes. We were on the phone for over an hour. Uh, and then he was like checking in afterwards to like see if I had enough. He was just like the greatest guy ever. And so that led to a bunch of others. We did, as you mentioned, Ben Schwartz, also from Parks and Rec. We did Ron Perlman. Um, we did a bunch with uh, the succession people, Matthew McFadden. And the last one I did was with uh, Fisher Stevens. Um, we had James Vanderbeek. <laughs> Uh, and you know what? I should mention this one too. One of my all-time favorite Q and A's ever, Bob Saget. Uh, like Bob Saget, also from Philadelphia, and he had just launched his podcast. And I reached out to him, and he was so gracious with his time. And it wasn't. A, I expected it to be this conversation that was like, you know, funny Bob Saget, right? And he was funny, but his podcast dealt with like a lot of heavy topics, and like we just had a a long conversation about how the pandemic has really like impacted people. And he had a phone number on his podcast where he would say, hey, if you're listening and you want to reach out, call me. And people would like reach out and like really bear their souls to him. And he almost served as a therapist. And so um, that one was really great. And I was so sorry to see that he passed. So rest in peace, Bob. And thank you for doing that. Yeah, you, it really allows you to get that connection with a person that just is not replicated by podcasts it, it, it's really true like i really think that like people know when they're just speaking into a into a phone with mm. you or they're sitting across the you know back in normal times when you'd go out to like a hotel lobby and each get yeah. a drink and you know what i mean it's just like to be able to look someone in the eye and just really kind of like decompress and really get at some things and i think that i i don't know i was just i was just so impressed uh that you thought to do that, that the ringer thought to do that and that it came off so well. Uh, let me ask what your success rate is though, in terms of like doing <laughs> interviews like that, because I would say I shoot probably like at least 85% are, are I would say fine. Uh, there's some that really stand out as being good, but then there's the other like 15% where you're just like, oh boy, that just didn't go well. Uh, what do you think your uh, free throw percentage in terms of like doing pieces on people are with the caveat that they're not intentionally adversarial? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the biggest the biggest problem, my success rate is like just getting somebody on the phone, right? Because invariably there are people that you you try to get and you just you can't get them right. I mean, like uh, I would have loved my last my very last story for the ringer was about the anniversary of Ocean's Eleven hitting. 20 years. And I wrote about actual casino security and real world heist. But initially we were like, wouldn't it be cool to get Pitt and Clooney? You can't get Pitt and Clooney. 
You know, like I what? couldn't even. It's just <laughs> not happening. This meeting, wouldn't it be cool to get Pitt and Clooney? Yeah, I couldn't even get Scott Kahn, right? Like, um, but with the people you can actually get on the phone, they were all lovely. So I, I've done, I don't know, I did ten or twelve or fifteen of those Q and As um, from when the pandemic started for the Ringer, and you know, not all of them were like huge winners, but I enjoyed all of those conversations because, to your point. When it's not a performative thing, when I'm just interviewing somebody for a story or Q and A, because that's a very similar style, it's just like more of a relaxed conversation, and you can talk to people as people, and I really enjoy that. What else should we know about the podcast? What most excites you uh, about doing it? I mean, getting to play in the Sports Illustrated sandbox with all these like super talented people who have been there for a while, like I mentioned back in Wertheim on the first um, having them on the first episode, but also like. Being at Sports Illustrated, when you call people up and you say, hey, you know, can we have so-and-so athlete or such and such an executive or, you know, a, a writer of some renown, would you like to come on the podcast to talk about your piece? It's, it really opens up a gate. Like, not to say that that wasn't the case at the ringer, but sometimes I had to explain like, hey, mm -hmm. you know, this is a Spotify thing and like I work at the ringer and we do pop culture and sports. Everybody just knows what sports illustrated is, which is really great. So uh, that's really fun. And then what else excites me is the team we're working with. I mean, I, I think it's hard for people who just listen to the podcast to know how much work goes into these things. Like it's an exceptional amount of work. There's so much editing and, you know, sound designing and mixing and all this stuff that goes into it. And for a lot of the podcasts that are somewhat similar, they've got teams of like upwards of 10 people. We have a total of five, including myself. So the other four people are just doing a supreme amount of work and uh, they're just great people and hard workers. And it's really cool to be with them. Awesome. Uh, I thought that the first episode was, was good. And, and I think that it's like template going forward. Like you said, I'm excited to see uh, what gets tackled. And I think that just like from the business side of things uh, and kind of like the cultural capital side of things, everybody should be doing something like this and doing it in a, in a thoughtful way uh, is going to make it very seamless and, and achieve the boxes of, you know, uh, what it's trying to do uh, it, it, behind the scenes and what it's, you know, trying to serve the audience members uh, with stuff that's really interesting of which there's no shortage of at Sports Illustrated. Yeah. Thanks, man. That's, that's uh, nice to hear. And you know, we're excited about it and we've put out one and now we just have to keep doing that. We just have to keep putting out podcasts. Should be fine. What could go wrong? Well, you know, I mean, what could go wrong? You can't ask that uh, in yeah. 2022. That that phrase has been retired for obvious yeah. reasons. That's John Gonzalez of Sports Illustrated. He hosts Sports Illustrated Weekly, new episodes every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. Wherever you get your podcasts, the podcast brick and mortar stores that are all over your neighborhood and the internet. Thanks so much, man. Kyle, thanks, man. This is fun. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.